You're listening to Pastor Jesse Miller of City Lights Church. We are in chapter 15. We'll read that in just a moment, but let me ask you a question. Have you guys ever been to somebody's house, um, and if you did this to me, I apologize. I don't mean any offense by it, but I'm just saying. Have you ever been to somebody's house where you go in and they, like, pull out the scrapbook or, like, this old family photo album from, like, 30 generations ago and begin to show you pictures of their great-great-uncle you're like, why are you showing me this? I'm not even related to you. Thanks for the information. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever go through that? Um, or they're just like, hey, look, this was Christmas 1932. This is what my great-grandfather got, and then he gave it to me. You're like, are you going to give it to me? Is that why you're telling me this? Like, what's, what's the, what's the, so you guys know what I'm talking about. That little bit of like the, what is the point of this conversation? Why are you showing me this? I want to show you a picture, right? And this is something we found when we bought the building here. When we got this building, uh, we bought this, it was the uh, a Methodist church for almost 200 years. This is a very old building, in case you didn't know. Um, eight, early 1800s. They actually started meeting in the late 1700s, and then I think this building was erected in the early 1800s. So anyway, we find, we've, we're in the building, and they just left it abandoned, basically. Like, all kinds of junk. But then I found some really cool things, right? And so one of the things is this picture, which... You won't be able to see from that distance. We're not going to pass it around. You can come look it up at, at later. But this picture is a bunch of men, right? All in suit and tie. And the date on it is 1914. The picture is right in front of the house next door, which City Lights owns. Um, and Bob and Will, our, our guys, our interns, live next door. There's, the picture is all the men of the church standing right in front of the, the church itself and the house. And you can even see the train tracks from the old trolley cars or whatever used to go through the city, the electric city, right? We used to have these cars or trolley cars, whatever it is. I don't know. I'm not a historian. But anyway, this picture always excites me for a few different reasons because you see all these men, like a ton of men. And then there's actually another picture that we found that's not framed and it's broken into a bunch of little pieces because it's so old. It's like Smithsonian old. You got a like art what are they, archaeologists? They have to like put the picture back together. There's all these little pieces. And when I sat in my office and kind of put the pieces together, it's all the men plus all the women and children. And there's a couple hundred of them. And the, the weird thing about that picture is there's only one person smiling. It's one lady in the back. Like Everybody else is like, how long is this picture going to take? Because it wasn't like Instagram, you know. It was like, Quick, one shot. It, this was like, it's the lighting together, photo booth, right? 1914 photography. So... I look at these pictures and I keep this picture because the other one I can't frame right now. I keep this in my office and I want to hang it up not because I'm Methodist, right? Not because I know any of these guys. I don't know any of them. But because there's a real part of this picture that tells me about the past and it gives me something to think about for the future, okay? Make sense? When you look at your grandfather's picture, it's personal to you, right? Not when you look at somebody else's picture. When you look at your grandfather's picture, or your grandmother's picture, or you see a picture of them dating. I saw a picture of my grandfather. I'm like, man, he was jacked. He had huge arms. Like, that guy was awesome back in the day. What happened? I'm like, what is it? It doesn't look the same at all. But I see him. I'm like, okay, I see the similarities. Anybody ever see my dad, right? Unfortunately, we're almost clones. That's People tell my wife all the time, that's what you have to look forward to. And she's like, that's really creepy. Thank you. Thank you for that image. But there's something about a picture that tells you about the past 
And to me, if you look at a picture, it can give me insight to the future, right? N.T. Wright, uh, a British theologian, talks about 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the beginning almost being like a a photograph that Paul points out. He shows the church of Corinth a picture, a snapshot of, you will, if you will, of where they've come from and why they are where they are today, right? Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 together. Starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, the one in front of you, you can have that. That's your, you can, it's a gift. You can keep it. Uh, we want every person to have a Bible of their own. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you can also read along with us up on the, up on the screen here. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, And his grace toward me is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. That was not I, but the grace of God that that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Okay, so let me break this down for you a little bit. That is this picture that Paul, the end of his letter, gives them to remind them of why they are where they are, of who they are of where they've come from, where he's come from, of the faith that, that they have in them. He says, let me remind you of all of this. And we're going to skip talking about the first couple of verses real quickly, and we'll come back to it. But in verse 3, he says this. He says, I delivered to you as the first importance what I also received. Paul says, when I came to you and I gave you the gospel message, which is the good news of Christ, it's to speak good news. When I gave you the gospel, I gave you what I first received as the primary basis, the thing that you build your faith on. This is the bottom line, right? This is the primary fact that you got to understand. I only gave you what I received. Sometimes in life, I feel like we try to live out of this thing that we don't really even have in us. Like, have you ever seen that guy who like tries to talk about faith or tries to love people, but he doesn't really understand love? Like, you guys ever see that person who talks a big game but doesn't have any game at all, right? You, it could be sports. That's probably the most common one. Like, the, you know, there's always a sports t- star talking about him being the greatest. The next game, he's, like, on the sidelines because he fumbled the ball three times. So it was, it's just a mess. Paul says, look, I'm giving you. I gave you what I have, and that's all I can give you. You can't give somebody what you don't have, right? You can't give somebody something you don't possess. You can't give somebody a heartfelt belief in something that you don't believe in yourself. Paul says, I communicated to you what I knew to be true, what I received for myself, and that's what I gave you as the first primary thing of importance. Everything else is secondary. This is the primary thing. I gave you the first thing. Christ died 
for our sins in accordance with the Scripture. See, the message of the Gospel is that Christ died for your sins. Christ died for my, my sins. That's the primary basis of it in accordance with the Scriptures. It says Christ, the Gospel, the good news of the Gospel is that He died so that you don't have to pay for your sins. You don't have to do anything. He died for our sins, not we died for our sins. That's the basics right there. The message of the gospel is that you can never do enough good things. You can never do enough good works. You cannot say enough kind words. You can't even suffer enough in this life to somehow earn forgiveness of your sins and be perfect before a perfect God. You cannot do it. That's the good news of the gospel. Christ suffered for our sins. I've, I've met some people who think, and there, there are different parts of Christianity that somehow believe if we suffer a lot, if we take on all these stripes and all these sicknesses, and if we really suffer for the gospel, then somehow our moral standing gets really high up, and we've kind of achieved this spiritual enlightenment, right? That everything that's pleasurable on earth is bad. Everything that's horrible on earth is good. These are the people who want to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Like, let me on in. Let me, come on. That way I can somehow achieve some kind of standing with God. There's this like hierarchy system. There's an earning system in their mind. And the good news of the gospel is you can't do it. Some, some of you guys who like to do everything yourself are like, that's not good news. How's that good news? I, tell me my list. Give me my step one, step two, step three. That's why so many churches go wrong when it comes to the gifts because they look for some kind of listing in scripture. Okay, so this is step one to get the gift of tongues. This is step two for the gift of healing. This, that's not how this works. Our salvation is a gift. You don't earn it. You receive it, right? I, I've told you this story before about this watch that I wear. First Valentine's Day where we're dating and Ashley gives me this watch. A $300 Citizen Echo Drive. I was frustrated. I was not as happy as I should have been. Why? Because I didn't earn it in my mind. I didn't give her something of equal value. You will never give God anything of equal value for the price that he paid on the cross. You will never do it. He suffered for our sins. That's the good news of the gospel. It's a free gift. I saw her face whenever I looked angry about this watch and turned to tears and I began no 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 I love it I love it it's the best thing ever like I wear it every day right would you know the price that somebody went through and how much they love you her tears of love is like why didn't you just receive my love I wonder how many of us live in life with the gospel like this well we just can't receive it we got to earn it he says the foundation of your faith, Christ died for our sins in accordance to the Scripture. This was something that was prophesied about. This was something promised. We see it in our home groups. We're walking through the, the Genesis. Genesis points to the fact that one day our Redeemer will come and pay the penalty for our sins. This was something promised throughout the entire Old Testament. That one day this Messiah would come and bear the sins of the world and take it upon himself. This is the good news of the Gospel. He takes it for us. This is prophetic. And finally, here it is today. Paul, Paul is telling them, look, here it is. It was prophesied. It was told us. It was told for us. Verse 4, he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. Good thing about this is he wasn't just a, a spiritual man who died and stayed dead. He didn't stay dead. I don't know if that's proper English or not. He didn't stay dead. He arose. He's back to life. That's what makes him unique. 
beyond all the other people who claimed to be the Messiah during that time. And there was a bunch. He was the one that rose and was publicly seen. It says first to Cephas, which is Peter. And then you see this other list, and then to uh, more than 500. I love that Paul's like, I'm not going to exaggerate. I'm going to say, I'm going to stay under 500, but it was more than 500, right? So all these people see the risen, resurrected Christ. If you don't believe me, there are early historians who were not Christian who can, in their writings, talk about this risen Messiah figure, this guy who did miracles, witnessed miracles, and wrote about it from an outsider perspective. This happened. Historically, you can look, if you don't believe me right now, and I'm not trying to argue with you about the risen Savior or not, but historically, you can find that Christ is documented to be a risen Savior. He's not dead. That's the good news of the gospel. We serve a living God, not a dead one. He defeated death. We'll see that in the next few weeks. We're going to talk, Paul goes into talking about resurrection, what that means to us as believers today. He defeated death as promised in accordance with the scriptures, it says. This is another thing promised that, was confu- that people didn't understand. What is it going to look like? And then here Jesus comes. He dies in our place and raises to life as the first fruit of this new creation. He's the first fruit of what we get to experience. He defeated death as promised. Last of all, verse 8. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be, inca- to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. His faith, uh, that's a weird, weird phrase, as to one untimely born, right? What does that mean? What are you talking about? It's really, if you look at the word untimely, it really is a traumatic birth. He says, all these apostles, the early disciples, the witnesses, they got to witness him in this like real clear, like slow process. I mean, women, birth can be traumatizing, right? But it can also be slow and not as traumatizing. You know, it can either be like the long, slow process in the hospital with, you know, the epidural. There it is. That is a miracle of God, isn't it? That is a modern miracle through the hands of men from the, the heart of the Father. You can either have this slow birth process where it's, it's not easy, because birth's not easy. I'm not going to be that guy who says birthing is easy. It's ridiculous. But you can have this slow process, or it can be like this sudden traumatic thing in the back of a car on the way to the hospital, right? Everybody's screaming, and there's blood everywhere. Paul says, that was me. That was me. I'm the untimely born one, the traumatic birth into this new family of God. We talk about being born again. That means being birthed spiritually, being reborn into a knowledge of a good, loving father and salvation in me, right? So Paul says, that was me. I was untimely born. It was traumatic. I'm on my way to kill Christians, literally kill them. And God appears to me, blinds me, knocks me off my horse. I'm blinded. And he says, why are you persecuting me? And all of a sudden, his faith is different. That's a traumatic experience, right? There's some of you in this room who have had a traumatic coming to faith moment where it was some kind of addiction, it was some kind of crazy valley of the shadow of death, and all of a sudden, God appeared in some way, and you had a traumatic coming to faith moment. Then there's some of us, like me, who I was raised in church my whole life, and I knew of God, and it was like, a, it was a thing. I, I was saved, I believed in him, but then slowly I realized God really loves me. He is who he says he is. I'm going to serve him. 
There's two different styles that you can be born into this kingdom, into his kingdom, into his body. And he says, he's like, look, first he appeared to them who got it. They slowly got it. And then me, I was the opposite. I was the least of them. Somehow I'm included with them. I was killing them. And now I'm leading this thing. Now I'm running with this thing. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me is not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. This right there, let me explain. Paul is not saying this so that somehow we equate spiritual works and proclaiming the gospel with salvation, right? He's saying, I was so rocked that everything in me, I worked as hard as I could with advancing the gospel. And we see that in other scriptures about how hard Paul worked, all the things that he went through in proclaiming Christ. He says, but even that, it wasn't me, it was God's grace in me that allowed me to do these things. It was God's grace in a, that allowed me to speak boldly when persecuted. It was God's grace that allowed me to speak even in the midst of shipwreck, in the midst of persecution and being whipped and being stoned and thrown out in the city. It's God's grace that allowed me to continue to speak of his love and his goodness because he so rocked my world and it was real. And we have to look back at that to see why we are where we are now. He's like, I have to look back at that moment of my untimely birth and realize this is who I am now. Right? Does it make sense? It was traumatic. By grace, the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain. I want you to understand, some of you guys have come to faith for, you've been a a believer for a long time, some of you recently, but I want to tell you something. Your conversion, your understanding, your receiving of Christ as Lord and Savior is not in vain. It's not wasted. This is something that I deeply, deeply desire our church to understand. Is that this Christianity is not about religion. It's not about an acknowledgement of some gods far off in space. It's about being empowered to be on mission by the grace of God inside of you so that his grace is not wasted. His grace in your life is not so that you can have a happy American dream life and go to church on Sunday. His grace in your life is so that you can live every moment, every day on mission and in a right relationship with the Father. One thing that I firmly believe at City Lights Church is that God desires personal relationship with you. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You can hear his voice. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. You can hear God. You can listen to him. You can have good relationship with him. You can trust him in the darkest places because of that relationship. And I want to encourage you to not let the, the grace that you received be wasted. Be on mission with the gospel. Be proclaiming it the way Paul proclaimed it. Don't let it be wasted. You're, the gift inside of you is not wasted. Grace is not so that you can have an average life, but it's to give you everyday joy. Every joy. Everyday joy that's based on something beyond circumstance. It's to give you a life that's empowered and on mission so that the things you do on this earth have eternal value, not just temporary gain. 
A lot of us, we can get in this Christian life to where we go about our jobs and our dreams and our pursuits and the things that we do for fun, and they're all very temporary enjoyment, correct? Paul says, I'm giving you something so you can enjoy this world now, but that you can also be empowered to have eternal reward, eternal value. Paul invested in eternal value everywhere he went. My desire is that we would be a church that lives thinking of the eternal value of the things that we say, the things that we do, the people we interact with. What is the eternal value? God's grace wants to give you the power to change an eternal value, a kingdom value in Scranton. Verse 11, then he, it's, it's kind of interesting, he, let's read that together, verse 11. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Do you remember what we started earlier in Corinthians? They were arguing over who their teachers were and who had the better teacher, who led them to this new belief better. Was it Paul or Apollos or Cephas? Who was it? And Paul here says, let me remind you, the gospel is about Jesus and his grace and him being resurrected and him being who he says he was, not about who your teacher is. And he says, so whether it was me who taught you or one of them, it doesn't matter. We preached, you believed. That's the bottom line. Let's stop arguing about it, right? He reminds them of something that they went through earlier. Now I want to go back to the beginning of chapter 15 if we could. He says, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you and which you received. I want to talk about you received. Each one of us, we have this moment where we have heard the gospel. We've heard it portrayed and proclaimed to us, this free gift of salvation, this relationship through Christ. And then at that moment, we have to respond. There is, to the Corinthians, he says, I preached it, you received it. There was something on their end. In church, I would say the same to us this morning. When the gospel is proclaimed of us, we can either receive it or we can not. No response is a response, though. If I go to my wife with a nice big gift and I give it to her, I put it in her hands, and she's like, uh, I'm not going to say I'm not going to take this. She just sits it down. How many of you husbands would be happy about that? You're like, wife, you didn't take my gift. She's like, oh, I, no, I didn't not take your gift. I just let it lay there. <laughs> right? That doesn't make any sense, does it? But somehow there's like a, there's a lot of people live in this state that like, okay, I've heard the gospel, but I don't really, I don't really have to do anything with it. No, the, the truth is you have to do something with it. To walk away from it is rejection of it, right? You, ca- you cannot just walk away from it. Well, people say, this is a common one, well, I believe that he existed. I can't argue that Jesus didn't exist. And I believe that he was good, but not that he's God or in any way Lord in like a real personal way. I love, and I've talked about this before, but I love C.S. Lewis. He, he shares this idea in mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis is a, another brilliant British theologian. He says, really, when it comes to Christ, we only have three options. He's either Lord that means when Jesus said, I am God, that I am he, I am, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life, I am all these things, and I am the Lord, then he is Lord. So if he said it, and, he's, and it's true, then he's Lord. The second option is he's a lunatic, right? If you walk around telling people that you are the Lord, that you are God of the universe, most of us in here are going to think you're a lunatic, right? 
Or the third thing is, he's just a bad liar. He's a compulsive liar. There's no place to look at Christ and say he was a good teacher. If you have a great teacher in college, right, and she teaches you all these brilliant things about whatever subject, and she teaches you about philosophy and the way of life, while saying that she is deity, you're not going to call her a good teacher anymore. You're going to call Clark State or Clark Summit State Hospital. This lady's a little, I think we need to fire her. She needs some time off. Our work's gotten too much for her, right? C.S. Lewis says you have three options. We can only respond to the proclaimed gospel with three conclusions. That he is Lord of my life, Jesus was a liar who liked to deceive people, or he was a lunatic who really believed his own lies. There's no other ground. There's no other place. And when we see the gospel that's presented to us, we have to make a decision. We have to say, yeah, Jesus, you are who you are, so all of my life is yours. Only true life is found in you. I can only have real eternal life in your presence. Or we reject it. The, se- the second part of that verse, the first three that I want to look at, is in which you stand. When we see the lordship of, our, of, of Christ, when we receive the gospel, it's a present tense, continual thing. I stand on him and who he says he is and who he says I am. So when every storm comes in life, every area of confusion or darkness or brokenness comes, I stand on the gospel. My faith is built on that one thing. My life is revolving around that one thing. Everything I do, my whole family, we stand on the fact that Jesus is Christ. He is the Lord. He is God. He is everything. I can, have pre- I can experience his presence in my life. I live for him, not for me. That's the place I stand. So Paul says then, look, 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 church, you guys have been a mess for a long time. And we've talked about all these issues so far up in, the, in this book. But let me remind you, Jesus Christ the risen Savior, He is the one that I preached, you receive, and you stand on Him. That's the place you stand on. That's the one you stand on. He's the area that your life is based. If you received Him to be who He says He is, then every other belief system, every other place of security, every purpose fails to hold you up. Only Him as Lord will hold you. Maybe you have lived a life trying to pursue these dreams and passions or maybe even higher states of enlightenment. You've pursued religion. You've pursued spirituality. You've been trying to figure this thing out. What is the meaning of life? And it's left you empty or tired or confused or frustrated. I want to encourage you that Christ says, pursue me and I'll give you a place to stand. I'll give you new passions. I'll give you a new heart full of joy and purpose. Jesus says, I come, come to me and I'll give you the truth. Not a truth, but the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And finally, we see in verse 2, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you be believed in vain. See, our, let me explain that. Our salvation is not on some kind of daily faith meter, like, One day our faith meter is really low, so we have lost salvation. One day it's really, really high, so we've gained a a ton of salvation. All of a sudden we're really, really saved, right? That's not what this verse is talking about at all. Honestly, when you look at that word, which in the ESV is translated as 
being saved, you are being saved. It's every day of my life I am saved in Christ. Every day, every issue that I walk through, every sin that I fall into, my faith, the thing that I put back here, when I came and I received Christ, I am standing on it and I am being saved in it. Every day I am being saved in Christ. It's an active daily part. When you look at the, the Greek, it is an active word, not a passive. Like I wasn't, it's not like, some of us can say, you know, I was really good at football. That's the very different tense, right? I was good at something, or I did do this, or, you know, I went to the store. This is, I am saved, continual. In him I stand. In him I am being saved. It's happening every day. When I wake up, I am being saved by the presence of Christ in me. The penalty, what he did on the cross is continually saving me every day of my life. That's good news for you. I heard a few amens. We should, should stir our hearts and our affections. Every day when you wake up, you are being saved. You are standing firm in the gospel because of what he has done. Because of who he is. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, sometimes it's good to go back to the gospel. Sometimes it's good to go back and hold fast to the word preached to us. Hang on to that. It's good to go back and and look at the promises that God has for us. We've talked before about certain promises over this church, over my life, over different areas of my life. It is good in those moments of confusion, in those moments of brokenness, in the moments of sin, to go back and hang on to the words preached to us. The truth proclaimed of the gospel. I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. The old is dead. The new has come. I hang on to that. I don't hang on to what I did or thought or said that day as my identity. I hold fast to the cross and the finished work of the cross and the continual action of being saved by the cross. That's what I hang on to. Does that make sense? We experience the goodness of salvation all over again when we look at where we've come from, when we look at the proclaimed word of the gospel to us. Some of you, if I began to talk to you about your past, would be so broken but so excited because you know you're not that person anymore. That's not who you are. That's the joy of our salvation. We can look and see, God, you have done something that I couldn't do on my own. I tried, but now I have joy in you that I didn't have before. It doesn't make sense, but yet you gave it to me. That's called grace. Grace doesn't make sense. Grace is so good. And when I look at my life, I'm like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. Why am I the pastor of a church? It doesn't make any sense. I know my own weaknesses. I know my brokenness. I know my sins. I know my confusions. I know my areas of dark places. But it's grace in me that allows me to do things for him. It doesn't make sense. It never will. And I'm saying that same thing is for you today. That same gospel wants to use you for his kingdom, for his glory, in a way that you can never begin to imagine for yourself because you know your faults, you know your weaknesses. I'm reminded right now of Moses. God called him, and he's like, I stutter all the time. God's like, well, we'll work with that. Well, Actually, God tells him, I'll fix it, and he still is arguing. God, let me remind you, God, I stutter. And God's like, oh, my gosh, fine, we'll, we'll use your brother in or we'll use your brother. But we'll, we'll still use you, right? I love that toward the end, Moses isn't even talking to his brother anymore. He's like, let me just do this. Some of you guys need to be reminded. And some of you guys, God, 
God has to bring a brother in to help you to walk into what you're called to do. But let me tell you, it's not your ability, it's God's grace in you that forgives sin and empowers you to be on mission. So that picture, let me, let me go back and talk about why I have that picture in my office. That picture is in my office not because it's not because it's cool <laughs> and vintage and it's hip to have the vintage picture in your office, right? Everybody's got that old antique now. It's good. I like antiques. It's cool. But that's not reason why. What that picture tells me and the other pictures is that we can pack this building out. We can fill every pew. Because I, I look at this picture and I think, how did they sit in there? How did they get into that building? Because at that time, the cafe wasn't here. So all those people, which is a couple hundred people, were in this room, right? This space right here. Put those walls down. They were here and then the underneath of us. Whatever that looked like in 1914. I don't know. Right? That's where they were. They were packed out. Everybody got their suits and ties on. They looked professional. You know, it was 1914, so they probably had like a, yeah, shame, like that kind of voice. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I do that with my kids all the time just for fun, and they, they start doing it back. It's hilarious. Anyway. But they, it's 1914. I don't know what they did. But they were filled this place up, right? They filled this place. In 2012, 2011, there was about 30 people in this church. All of them over the age of 65. All of them. The youngest person was 65. And the pastor left. And they said, we have nothing left. And they just left the building. And a year later, we were called, not even a year later, a few months later, we were called by a realtor and said, hey, are you looking for a building? And we said, yeah, but we can't afford anything. And we walked into this, this building, Jared, myself, I think Ashley, <coughs> sorry, this is just real to me. And I walked in and I thought, we can't afford this. We're in a storefront. We're broke. We got nothing. God opened up every door for us to get this building. For us to be in this place. But I looked at that picture and I thought, at one point, they were a thriving church, at least numerically. But where were they at with the mission of the gospel? Because somewhere from 1914 to 2012, they stopped reaching the people of Scranton, Pennsylvania. They stopped proclaiming the gospel. They stopped bringing people in. They stopped putting a vision and a mission in their heart. Because we see in the Old Testament, without a vision, the people perish. You and I have to look back at this picture, the snapshot of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and say, this is why I am who I am. It's God's grace in me. It's the power of the cross. It's his resurrection. It's this new life that was witnessed and I believe and I receive and I live from. I live from this place. At some point, a whole church of people lost that. They stopped reaching Scranton, Pennsylvania. And I have that in my office because I never want to be so full that I'm content in myself and in my moment that I stop thinking about the future generations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we do baby dedications. It's so that the next generation knows how good he is. And if they don't, they're missing true life. They're missing the way, the life. They're missing it. We have to stay on mission. 
some of us in this room, I'm closing with this, some of us in this room are like the Corinthians. We've already received it. We came to faith. But man, our lives have not been standing on it. We've been arguing over teachings. We've been arguing over sins, like what we can do, what we can't do. And now that we're in Christ, we can do all these things. It's just ridiculousness. We've been arguing over how do we give or what do we give. We've been arguing over like how can we sue our friends. Like what, what is this? Right? There's so many ridiculous things that First Corinthians that we've gone through so far, right? Even dress. Can, what can I wear? Head coverings and then what was it? Paul says, stop, go back. What are we, what's the premise that we stand on? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of us have been living like we're merely human, Paul says. When we're in Christ, we're not merely human anymore. We're a new creature alive in Christ. salvation.